You are listening to Primal Radio, the podcast dedicated to combat sports, martial arts, self-defense, and the warrior mindset. And here are your hosts from Hamilton, New Jersey, Jim McCann, and London, England, Tom McGrath. All right, Primal Jim, Tom, we're back, buddy. Two days in a row, many shows we got to record. So what's going on, brother? Primal Jim or Primal Radio? Did I say Primal Jim? You did. Well, you know what? Because I goddamn live everything primal. I'm at the gym all day. I got there at, well, I've been there for seven hours already. Came back to Primal Radio Studios <laughs> and uh, to do this and to go back there again. And to me, it's one big giant organization. Organize the international time. We're world famous. So we got it all going on. So I apologize. I can make, okay, Primal Radio, we're here. <laughs> there you go, Tom. <laughs> Was that better, Tom? Did that make the That was great. That was great. Oh, such a professional. So this week, Jim, we've we've got a great guest who I've been trying to book for some time. Yeah. This week's guest is a JKD instructor, a regular contributor to the Jun Fan Journal and the editor of World Martial Arts Magazine, WOMA Magazine. They're one of the world's foremost experts in Bruce Lee, certainly in the UK, his martial art Jeet Kune Do. So welcome to the show, Andrew Staten. Hello. Yes. Hi. I think I've got to make a few little corrections there, yeah, yeah, if you yeah. don't mind, Tom. Um, you, you've bigged me up there, and, and there'll be some people jumping on me from a great height if we don't correct it. Mainly, I'm an authority on Bruce Lee. I keep everything Jeet Kune Do alive from where my perspective is. I aren't an instructor in Jeet Kune Do. Tim Taki actually made me an apprentice instructor, you know, because I'd done so much. But I don't have anybody that I particularly train, though I have trained people in what I've learnt, and I've taken people like Shukakai Black Belt, who, you know, are very good technically, but not very good fighters, in the day when I was doing that kind of thing. Now I put a lot of effort into my son. He's a world Aikido champion, and he's wow. moving into Muay Thai at the moment, and then he'll be hopefully start training. He's going to do a weekend's camp with uh, Chris Kent when he comes over. So, But my legacy is to keep the Jun Fan, Gung Fu, and Jeet Kune Do, and you know, the legacy of Bruce Lee alive the best I can around the world. And I am sub-editor to the world of Martial Arts Magazine. The male editor is Will Henshaw. Um, it's his baby, really, and he has the World of Martial Arts, the Walmart TV website, which we try and do as much as we can for everybody. And I used to be a, a major associate editor for Martial Arts Illustrated, which is the longest magazine in England. So, and I kept in those columns, I used to bring in absolutely everything everything and anybody so i'd have brought you in and everybody into the magazine anybody who did anything on bruce lee or had some link to bruce lee i would bring it into martial arts illustrated with the editor of all those years which was bob sykes and the the managing director which was roy jessup and they give me so much parameters to put G Kundo and the Bruce Lee name brand out there. And so I have to thank them a lot. Um, so it's kind of a lot of thank yous, but I've enjoyed it. And I've also been associate producer on what I think is one of the best documentaries on Bruce Lee. It's got a different title in America. I think it's the life and legacy of Bruce Lee. But in very area, it was called Bruce Lee Martial Arts Master. It was the first of the... Um, thing in 1993 uh, which of course is when Brandon died and when Dragon the Bruce Lee story came out so we were out there 
and I had the opportunity to go round the world and meet an awful lot of people to do with Bruce Lee and training. And I took, for the American leg, I took my friend and Jeet Kune Do instructor, who sadly died five years ago, which was Sifu Dave Carnell. So that's my legacy, and I just about have touched everybody. But that's I'd like to put the, the card straight, so somebody don't think I'm, I'm bigger than I am. But on the other hand, people know that I've been around for a long time. Well, thank you for correcting me, because I, I don't like to half-ass my research, but I have to say, sometimes <laughs> I, don't, I don't get ev- everything right. Sometimes he does, so. <laughs> hey, Andrew, a quick question. Were you in Seattle in 2008? In 2008? Yeah, yes. they had the, uh, the 35 years of Bruce. It, was that a nucleus thing? The nucleus of the foundation. There was one I missed in Seattle. They had quite a few in Seattle. But when it was the Jun Fun Jeet Kune Do nucleus, I was there uh, there then, and I I interviewed quite a lot of people there. I interviewed Pete Jacobs, Jesse Glover, and quite a few at that one. And it, it, it was quite nice was that one. But I know there's been several others at Seattle, and dates and times, you know, they all merge a little bit. They all merge together, yeah. Because uh, I was there in 2008. I think they might have called it the Foundation or something. Yeah. And, you know, you had everybody from Tacky Kimura up to, you know, Tackett and Poteet and all kinds of stuff like that. And Bastilio, and I didn't know if I might have crossed paths with you back then. That's why the question. I think that's the one where Linda and Shannon went. The last thing I did, I tried to get everybody to go to the Netherlands. Uh, there was a nucleus, Junfanji Kundo nucleus event in the Netherlands. And that was the last one I went to. And that was when the change happened and the, the team fell apart. The, the nucleus fell apart because Shannon actually brought in a new set of lawyers to look after the Bruce Lee name and uh, legacy. And when that is, the, the, the most of the guys actually left. And I know some of them came back later, but at that time they just left. And, and I know John Little left at that time as well. So we had John on the show. I've never personally spoken with Shannon or, or, or met Linda. I've heard lovely things about Linda, certainly. What, what was your yeah. take on all that? I know, I know the sort of commercialization. Well, Linda was, is an absolute yeah. star. She's done what she set out to do from the get-go in 1973 when Bruce died. I mean, the the thing was that it was quite serious to her to make sure that her husband's names wasn't trashed. And the way that the Chinese press, the Hong Kong press, really rattled his cage so many times, so often. I mean, it was publicity, but sometimes they would dig the dirt on anything and everything while Bruce was alive. So you could see what they did when he, when he died. So they were, they were absolutely bonkers. I mean, you know, Brandon and Shannon were little at the time. And, you know, she didn't want um, Bruce's name dragging through the dirt for any little thing. I mean, these days, crumbs, you know, you, you only have to spit the wrong way and you're in trouble. You know what I mean? So... But no, no, she, she's, she's been an absolute, and the many times that I've met her, you know, it's been lovely when she's, you know, she was saying something, and I put my hand up and said, yes, Andrew, what is it? I said, but can we just correct this little bit? She went, oh, yes, that's right. When she just got a little bit of a, a minor fact wrong, but it, it was quite serious that if she'd give that information out, people would believe that information. So I just helped her where necessary. And Shannon, I mean, I knew her from the word go, really, when she started going to the nucleus events and stuff like that. So she's done good. And, you know, she knows what she's doing. She's a businesswoman. It's difficult for me because, you know, I run many, many, many Bruce Lee conventions in England. 
with a team. I don't think it was just me. It only had to have an, a whiff of something that we could do. And I would bring over, I mean, I brought John Ben over, who was the mafia guy from Way of the Dragon. You know, I brought over Van Williams, Pat Johnson, all people who had starred in the movies. And it was great to get their picture of Bruce. And, and I think Pat Johnson was one of the greatest because he could tell loads of stories in the time when, you know, I didn't even look at Bruce had actually trained with Chuck Norris, trained with Bob Wall, trained with Pat Johnson and Joe Lewis together, you know what I mean? And, and, and they all had a lot of laughs, you know, before the films. Pat Johnson had a, a lot of great stuff because he'd worked with Bruce and trained with Bruce. And, and the great stories that Pat, sadly, as far as they got from Bill Superfoot Wallace, that Pat now has a bit of dementia, so, you know, he, he won't be able to. But I was able to get all his memories onto DVD that we've got over here. So most of the DVDs, when um, it was Hong Kong Legends were doing things, they did a great interview with Pat. Um, and Pat relayed all the uh, lots of stories about, about Bruce and funny stories, you know, things that were the, that gave the, the, the other side to Bruce Lee that you don't always see. So Pat was great. And I'd always related, you know, great stories between Steve McQueen and Bruce Lee and, and stuff like that. And it was, it was quite funny. I, I'll tell you a little story quickly. Um, I was with Matthew Polly, who's just written the, the latest book on Bruce Lee. And uh, Matthew started telling me this story about Bruce Lee and Steve McQueen going up Mulholland Drive in a Porsche when he was trying to, uh, Bruce was thinking about buying a Porsche. And I was listening to Matthew tell me the story and says, where did you get this story from? He says, oh, I listened to it on a DVD. I says, yeah, well, I says, I think you should have asked me first because I says, really? I said, I got that interview for Hong Kong Legends years ago, you know. So some people these days, you know, all they can rely upon is is what's out there. And it's nice to have been one of those people being able to get the people to talk to camera about their time with Bruce Lee. Um, and, and as I say, you know, you always get a little bit more and a, a little bit more understanding of, of what, what made Bruce Lee tick, you know, uh, from a martial arts side and from a, a film side and just as human being. And how did you get into Bruce in the first place? I'll give you the, the abbreviated version. Um, the quick thing is um, I was a very poorly child all through my right up to have been about 15. And I started working in a a bakery and a couple of the young bakers um, started leaping around the bakehouse. And I said, what you've been to see? What's all this? Oh, we've been to see a film called King Boxer. And I went, oh, my goodness me. I said, so we went to see it and it was quite hilarious. You know what I mean? It was these guys jumping and leaping all over the place and making funny cries and all that sort of stuff. And uh, we got into to martial arts a little bit more because of David Carradine. So I used to sit cross-legged, you know, looking at Kung Fu, the TV series, and saying some strange quotation of, of uh, meditation to myself and stuff like that. And then uh, in 1974, because uh, Lucky Old America got the Enter the Dragon in 1973, we didn't get it until January 13th, 1974. And it was so funny because it took me three weeks to actually get to see it. And when I'd watched it, I realized what Bruce Lee had done. He'd physically put his energy onto celluloid. And and as you're watching the film, it actually hit you in the seat, including the sound effects and things like that that they'd added. And even little tricks that that you thought were Bruce, but but weren't. They were Yunwar who does the backflip. And also it was Yunwar who does the double somersault where the monks are and stuff like that. So you always think that's Bruce Lee, but you knew damn well that 
later on when you, you, your investigations went along that Bruce couldn't have done those because he had a bad back, you know, he couldn't do that kind of thing. Um, but you and why just absolutely, if you, I, I sort of, I say to people, you watch Enter the Dragon and you, you try and pick out which bits you and why, which bits Bruce Lee. I do have a, a set of photographs and, and several other people do. I know David Tadman in America has got um, a set of photographs and I'm sure Steve Curry has as well of Yunwa there uh, with Bob Wall doing the trick, you know what I mean? But all in all, by the time I'd finished and watched 1973, I went to a Shotokan uh, karate club uh, run by Bob Roan and started training in Shotokan karate. And after that, I did Aikido. And then I was desperate, of course, to, to learn Wing Chun. So I got a Wing Chun teacher, which was Simon Lau. I did that for 15 years. And then, of course, I started doing the Americas and training with everybody and anybody. So, you know, I went to Seattle and trained with Taki Kimura and in the Jun Fan Gung Fu. I went to Redlands and trained with the Wing Chun Do with James DeMille. And, you know, OK, it wasn't a long, but it gave me a good insight. And I had a, a quite an intensive learning curve with them all. And then, of course, Guru Dan and done uh, training with them and all the others. I did an awful lot. I always enjoyed when somebody said, this is when Guru Dan used to say that this is something Bruce Lee had taught me. This is the Jun Fan Gung Fu. And everybody would rush round him. You know, it didn't matter how much a screamer and Kali is teaching. As soon as he said, oh, Bruce Lee taught me this, everybody run round him, you know, like, oh, Bruce Lee taught him this. You know, you've got to, you've got to be there. I remember that at Rick Young's step it up in Edinburgh at that time. That was so, so funny. And I loved training. I say I, I passed the legacy on to my son and he's doing the best he can. I think sometimes he looks at me and, Am I doing all right, Dad? And I go, look, as long as you're doing something, that's fine. You know, I mean, I, I'm inspired by Bruce Lee. And, and basically what I do is I want, it's not just people like ourselves, maybe, but it's the youngsters of today. You know, if they can what, get involved or go to one of the, the seminars that Chris Ken or any of, of the second generation or third generation people do now, like Andy Gibney and, and, and anybody who has a good lineage to the original Jeet Kune Do, be it. Jeet Kune Do, what they call original or Jeet Kune Do concepts, it doesn't really matter. As long as it comes from a good source and the people understanding, then that's fine. It's when somebody's just doing it to make money. That's what upsets me. I, I don't like it when people just sit there and because of the Bruce Lee name, and there's quite a lot of people, if you look at India and stuff like that, there's a lot of people who will actually just jump on the bandwagon and there's not much you can do about it. I remember Shannon I once rung up Shannon. I said, what are you doing about the Jeet Kune Do? She says, oh, it's a mess. She said, I'm giving up on it. She said, it'll be what it'll be. But if anybody wants to really learn Jeet Kune Do, then I think the thing to do really is to find somebody who has a good lineage and a good understanding of what's going on, really. Um, and if they have, then they'll, they'll be fine. If they don't, you sometimes get people saying, well, it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And... If I can employ people, just watch a James DeMille video. I think it's in three parts on YouTube. And you listen to him when he, when Bruce was evolving Jun Fan Gung Fu and the way he was training. And when you listen to DeMille, you really realize what Bruce was doing. And as he was saying, he was going against real big American guys. And he knew damn well that he'd have to change his tune a little bit because Wing Chun might work, but he wasn't going to work that well. You know, some, I mean, I met some American guys and Tom might be one of them, but they're huge. You know, <laughs> I, re yeah. I remember Redlands or Red something in Seattle. DeMille had taught this guy what he called um, a leg block. And I said to this guy, I said, why are you learning this? He said, he said, well, I just like to be effective. I said, 
you're already effective. I said, you're like six foot God. You're God knows how big. I said, if I was my size, which I'm five, seven and stuff like that, I'd, I'd be scared to death. <laughs> you know, the huge people, you know, and then you think about Bruce Lee, five foot seven, walking in to um, Ed Parker's studio. And I got this crate from Larry Hartzell. And Larry was the doorman. Larry was the guy who, who looked after the, the Ed Parker studio. And anybody coming in, giving any sort of like hard, I'll take any, you know, martial arts, I'll take anybody on here. And Bruce did that. And Bruce walked in there and says, who's your best? Who's the best you got here? I'll take him on. We'll, we'll see what their martial arts is like. And he walked into Ed Parker studio and Larry saw this little guy, you know, coming in. He thought, this guy's mince me. You know what I mean? He's gone. And Larry said, you know, he just, you know, swung at him and went for him. And, and he said, next thing he knew, it was on the floor. <laughs> and Larry went, oh, <laughs> this is a different kettle of fish. You know what I mean? And and, and that was straight from Larry Hartzell. He, you know, he, I have it on tape. If somebody wants to say he didn't say it, I've got it on tape. So, you know, I know he said it. So, How hard was it for you to find JKD? And the reason I, I mention that is, say when we interviewed John Little, what he was saying was, he wanted to be like Bruce. He was inspired by Bruce. So he was like, right, I'll go and learn martial arts. And he went to his local martial arts gym, which was karate, obviously not JKD. And he looked around and no one looked like Bruce Lee. No one was ripped. No one had that sort of like muscle definition that he had. No one moved quickly and et cetera, et cetera. Now being all the way over in England, was it, you know, it must've been a real challenge to find Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was, there was nobody there in the, t- the period that I was learning. It took all long to get somebody to actually, you feel comfortable to teach you Wing Chun. Where I am in Leeds, which is sort of like halfway in the middle of, of England, I mean, there, there was nobody. Um, you, you know, the, the, the Wing Chun classes were, in the, 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 they're all over the, the, the Yorkshire and, and all over England now. It's massive. You can, can't turn the corner without Wing Chun class being around. But to, to be actually honest, when I first started, there was nothing, no Wing Chun whatsoever. And to just get a Wing Chun class, to get, to get something that was close to what Bruce had trained in was so difficult. I mean, we had Simon Lau. And Simon Lau was one of these guys who came up with his fur coat on, walked up and down the, the students, looked at you, sort of like corrected your tan sow, your bong sow a little bit walked back, took 40 quid, and walked, and went back home to London. And that was it. It was only until we got Sam Kwok, who has really now established himself around the world, that we started getting somewhere. And, and my instructor was absolutely spot on. He was, he, was, he was keen to learn. So the only thing that I got in England in the early part was Wing Chun. You had to go to America to get Jeet Kune Do. You, you couldn't get Jeet Kune Do at the time. And that's where, when Dave Carnell came on the scene, Dave started going to a lot of uh, the Inner Santo classes, and I didn't go to Bob Breen's. Bob Breen was the, 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 the one that had really got in with Dan, Guru Dan, early. He had it quite early, but getting to London for me was very difficult. So to actually be anything around, no, there was no you can go. I mean, and even now, where I am around, um, there's, there's people who say they're doing it, but I would have to actually really sit down and, and listen to and see what they got. There's still not, there's still only pockets of it around England that I could actually say. Andy Gibney, definitely, you know, Rick Young and stuff like that. But certain places, you know, I mean, there is places where, we, where you can actually say, yes, that's Jeet Kune Do, but most of them are. These people, sometimes they turn around and they go, yeah, we do Jeet Kune Do. And you look at them twice and you're thinking, are you? Are you really? You know what I mean? I'm, I'm never, I'm never so sure about yeah, that. Totally. <laughs> 
Tell us about your relationship with Dave Carnell. I trained with him once. He was an incredible, phenomenal martial artist. Massive loss to the world of Jeet Kune Do when we lost him a few years ago. What was your relationship to him and how did you guys get on? He was my best friend. He was my best friend. We were introduced kind of through Chris Kent. Dave was actually going to every seminar that was going around. You know, if, if if there was a JKD guy around, and I was doing the same. And then I was the one, a guy in, down in London was going to have him over. But I said, I'd take it on because I'd, I'd been to uh, Marina Del Rey and I trained with Guru Dan Casmagda, Del Pollard and Chris Kent. I'd really sought out Chris Kent because... But my main thing, because there was no real hardcore Jeet Kune Do in England, my main aim was to go see Chris Kent, who, who was originally Chris Nudds, and I was, my main aim was for Chris to come back to England and teach Jeet Kune Do. That was my main aim. That was what I wanted. <laughs> I wanted to, that's what I wanted Chris to do. I actually went up to Chris and said, do you Did want you? to come back to England? You know, we've got nothing, no Jeet Kune Do here. You know, will you come back to England? And he went, well, my life's here, you know what I mean? I, you know, and he was quite established at the time. So, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, it was at Santa Monica, one of Guru Santos' top instructors. So basically, you know, no, it wasn't going to happen. And then, of course, the next thing happened was, you know, somebody says, you want to meet up with Dave Carnell? So I brought Chris Kent over to England and I had a seminar here. Got him into the newspapers, and I got him on television. And yeah, we had a fantastic time. He brought a guy over called Steve Connolly, who's since died, unfortunately. But we had a wild time. I had loved Chris's sense of humour. And Dave and his partner turned up, you know, martial arts partner turned up. And it was not long after that that, you know, Dave was saying, will you come down, you know. And we started talking about going to, we started going to seminars together. We went to see Paul Vuna anything that was around we we went and i'd go down to stoke on trent and we'd start having seminars there and it, it just went on and on and on and each time uh, we'd be on the phone and i got into martial arts illustrated and i said look dave i'm going i need you to do a column in martial arts illustrated and so i had a column at first called a finger pointing and he took that over and and he it went from strength to strength for many years and then, you know, it, it, he had to grow more. I couldn't give him any more than what I'd done. You know, I'd, I'd set him off. I'd launched him as best I could and given him help. Um, I helped him with his book. And, of course, when I was going to do Martial Arts Master in 1992, I insisted. It was not an if, no, but I insisted to the, the people who was funding it. I said, I'm not going to America without Dave Carnell. I said, he will open all the doors of the martial artists. So I said, when the martial artists see Dave and his skill, he'll be straight away. So it was not a, if and a but. Um, Dave was very quiet them days. And so basically when we had, you know, Herb Jackson, Ted Wong and all of them. And, um, and it was so funny because I remember having a, a little conversation. Tom will like this one and, and, and Jim will like this one in, in the fact that Dave was insistent on going into the desert to see Bob Bremer. He was insistent. He said, you've got to go. I don't care what we do. We've got to go. We've got to go fill Bob Bremer. And I went, you know, why? He says, he's the one. He's the one. He's the box. He's the hammer. And I went, you know, and, and Dave had done his absolute homework. And I went, yeah, okay, okay, well, whatever. And I had to really twist some arms. So we went and filmed Tim Tacky, Seafood Tim. And then we went to meet Bob Bremer. And, and he frightened us to death because he, he basically, first he opened a cabinet full of guns. And he said, oh, well, these are just to shoot snakes, you know. And then, of course, <laughs> he got the footage on. 
And then you have the footage, and the best footage, because the, the Tackett, uh, the Super Tackett loves, is that I was there and Bert Poe was there. And, <laughs> and I always remember, it was sort of like, and if you actually listen to the, you can hear me, you can hear my voices on the, on the YouTube bit, because you can hear my voice. Yeah. And it's so funny, because Bert goes, well, this is, you know, telling him how he killed people. And he was a frightening character. You know, you, you went up to him, and you shook his hand, and you, you could see that coldness in his eyes, you know what I mean? And you went... Whoa, this is scary, you know what I mean? But he was a lovely guy, really calm, really, really beautiful guy. And, um, and he said, and he just get over this. And he got hold of sort of like the, the breast pl- uh, muscle of Dave and just, you can yeah. watch it. And he pulls on it. And it, actually, if you were there, you could hear it tearing. You could hear it tearing off his bloody bones. And I went, <laughs> Jesus, you're going to kill Dave, you know. You're going <laughs> to kill him. Uh, and, and the thing was that, that Dave just went, ah, you know, this is this guy that's really super fit and stuff like that. And I, I went, oh, yeah, that's good. Keep the cameras going. Keep the cameras going. And literally, Dave, Dave sh- took his shirt off that night and he said, look at this. She's gonna, what are we going to say to the missus, you know, Jesus Christ, you know. <laughs> but he was all right. He was tough. He was tough. He was tough. But, yeah, the, 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 the Bob Bremer footage was definitely Carnell, an absolute star. And, you know, I remember Chris Kent ringing me up. Because we, we'd not lost cut. cut. It, it was one of them friendships towards the end where, you know, we didn't need to ring each other up every five minutes. You know, we, we knew we were there. He only had to do was ring me up. And if he needed me, I was there. And if I, I needed him, all I had to do was ring him. And we were on separate paths at that point. Not totally different paths. Chris rung me up and he just says, uh, you're going to go see Dave, aren't you? And I went, what are you going to mean? We'll go see Dave. He's fine. You know, Christ is fitter, faster than anybody I'd ever seen. He says, no, no, he's, he's got days. I went, days what? You know, days going home or days... Oh, no, no, and he's got days to live. I went, are you joking? And I didn't have his number. You know, he'd moved because he'd split up with his wife and he'd moved again and and moved a couple of times. So I'd, I'd lost his number, really. And, and literally, um, it was so, so sad. Days before he died, I actually first one says, how are you doing, Dave? And he's going, oh, I'm doing okay, mate, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he never, he never mentioned it, never made a big issue. And I said, oh, I said, I'd, I'd, I'd had cancer, you know what I mean? And we discussed it a little second or two. And I said, oh, keep in touch. And, and, and then I just sent him another one. And before I knew it, it you know, it'd gone. And that were it. And then the cat, the day that it was his funeral, the guy that was taking me, um, his car broke down. So I never made it to the funeral. But I did do a massive write-up in, in the martial arts magazine and his ex-wife and everybody was really, really, you know, humbled by the amount of tribute I'd put into that. And every year, if you actually look at the Dave Carnell, his, his Facebook page, I always put something up there. I always do a link. I actually found some footage of a convention where uh, it was called Tracking the Dragon and Bob Baker, who had been in Fist of Fury and been an Oakland student, was there. And um, there was, a, uh, I think, uh, John Saxon was there. And just at the, form, uh, the bit where they were filming it, there's me and Dave having a laugh. You know, just at the beginning of this. And I knew what Dave was saying. I was like, God, what, what is this going to be like? You know what I mean? This is a Bruce Lee it's not like fan event. You know what I mean? But Dave went to him and he enjoyed him. And, and he, he went to just find out any little scrap of information, you know, that he, that he could on on that little bit more about Bruce Lee and, and Jeet Kune Do. Wonderful man. I remember like the one time I trained with him and I trained with this little fella, I think, who'd come up from Cornwall, but he was associated to that group. And uh, he was like kicking the pads and he kicked it so hard, like it kind of done a bit of damage to my elbow. 
And I was like, this was like really right at yeah. the beginning of me starting to train JKD. And I was like, fucking hell, yeah. you know, that, that yeah. that's an illustration of what, you know, this art can do. Jim, you, you'll like this one because this, this is kind of a primal thing. There was a pretty boy with muscles on his muscles in Cass Magda Reseda uh, studio or school. And David got the pants out. And this guy had got, oh, this lime is here, you know, I'm, I'm going to show him, you know, I know everything. So he was doing sort of like punching and, and tie kicks and stuff like that. And he was really pushing Dave around. You know what I mean? He was really giving him some stick. And Dave going, he's, he's going to die. He's going to die. <laughs> Dave, 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 keep calm. Keep calm. Just because he's good things, I'm a skinny guy. doesn't mean anything, you know. I said, Dave, I know, I know. Just keep calm. I said, just use tactical force when you get there and, and just show him what you can do. Well, Jesus, the pads turned around and this guy got him. Well, Dave walled him. He put him everywhere in that bloody school. He couldn't move. He was pushing him and slammed him into the wall ever and got him down on the ground. And, you know, it just made this guy look absolutely the biggest idiot going. And anyway, he got up and he went, he went up to Dave and says, God, you got some stuff, man. Jesus. <laughs> 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 and, and, and absolutely every one of them in, in Cassie's school went, yeah, Dave's the real thing. He is the real thing. You know what I mean? So, yeah, just just because he had all these muscles, I think he just thought he could he could oh, push he could Dave around. Right. But yeah. No. yeah, you've been extraordinarily fortunate and blessed to you know really have interfaced with a lot of these gentlemen, these fantastic martial artists, and learned a lot. Do you find that not only training with them, but that downtime? You know, when you're sitting around at the campfire drinking a beer. BS and that you got like gems of brilliance when you spoke to any of these guys? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the best times was filming um, Martial Arts Master. Um, and you talk about beer. The camera crew that I had was was okay. You know what I mean? They were okay. But they were not passionate about Bruce Lee. You know what I mean? It, it, the one thing that when you take a team to go do something, I think it's only right that, you know, they're, they're all on board with you. And I think they were only looking at how much money they were going to get. It was a shame because, as I say, we were in Reseda and every day we'd go out to, we'd go talk to Bob Wall, we'd go talk to Ted Wong, Herb Jackson, me and David come back and we're going, you know, these idiots, they ask some of the daftest questions and then we'd have to step in and ask some better questions to actually bring it alive. And Cass was the absolute tops because he used to go, the jacuzzi's ready, the beer's at the side, let's sit down and chat. And I just... And I, I just I just let steam, you know, I go, you know, this guy was telling us everything and he was telling us all about Bruce and, uh, 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 and, and Cass would just laugh his socks off and go, yeah, yeah, get it all out of your system and then go out there and do it again tomorrow, you know what I mean? So we had two solid weeks of that, you know what I mean? But hey, it was it was good fun, but yeah, you did, you did find out an awful lot and, uh, you know, I, I am sometimes pushed into write it all down and, and stuff like that because it was quite embarrassing a long time ago when Van Williams, the Green Hornet, was a sheriff in Los Angeles. And uh, it was so funny because we were sat there, me and Dave, and uh, Dave was in awe of Wendy Wagner. She was a, she was a bit of a, a good-looking woman, and Dave did like his good-looking women. And and it was so funny that Van Williams was talking, and, he, and every so often go, Van, 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 that's wrong. You, you need to say this, Van. And, Van, 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 that's wrong. Right? You need to say this. Van, Van, Van. Shh. And he turned around to, to the camera woman at the time, and she went, he says, you know what? He says, 
I'm not being disrespectful here, Sid, but you should interview this little guy here because he says he seems to know a lot more about Bruce Lee than I can ever remember. You know what I mean? And and what I said to Tom was, and it's very much like John Little and Steve Kerridge and, and other people who have been historians of Bruce Lee and stuff like that. Is you forget that if you interview so many people around the world who met Bruce Lee and stuff like that. The situation is is you do tend to get a bigger picture of Bruce Lee than they do because they're only with Bruce a finer amount of time. Even Linda, you know, you, I was talking to people who, who knew Bruce when he was a child. Linda knew him when she was married to him and, and a fair long time. You actually get a bigger picture of the, the guy. You know what I mean? And even then, when I talk to people now, you still get a bigger picture. You know, you still, you, so, so you have, as an interviewer, sometimes you get a bigger picture of what the guy was really like than, than the person who was actually with him. Not to say that they can't still come up with great anecdotes and things like that that just blow you away. You know, wow, I didn't know that and stuff like that. And Pat Johnson, as I said, was amazing. He he told what Bruce was really like. One of the eye-openers for me was the situation where Pat turned to me and he went, you know when he was with June Ree? You know why why you like June Ree? I says, no, no, no. He says, well, June Ree went up to him and he said, what are you doing uh, towards the screen? And he went, well, I'm just doing these sort of little short kicks and stuff like that and karate stuff. He says, yeah, but he says, you want to do a kick that goes from one side of the screen right across to the other. He says, it might not be effective in a street fight. He says, but it looks bloody great on film. And he showed him something that was good. And, and June sort of like said, yeah. He says, that's, that's, that's it. And Bruce went away and he said, and June Lee said to him, well, next day he come back and he, he could do it better than I could. You know, uh, I mean, 10 uh, times uh, better than I uh, could. Uh. And then the situation was, when I met June Ree and he goes, you know, I says, yeah, yeah, you know who I am. I says, yeah, yeah, you're June Ree, you know, a frightening little guy. And he, and he went, you know, he says, uh, Bruce Lee taught me how to punch. And he says, and I taught Bruce Lee how to kick. And I went, okay, <laughs> I wasn't going to argue with him, but I knew the story <laughs> and from Pat. And But it was that little thing that, yeah, Bruce got the, the ideas and some of it, you know, he, he tried things out all the time, you know. You know it's, it's just like the one-inch punch. Everybody goes on about the one-inch punch. But the one-inch punch was devised with James DeMille. If you look at it, DeMille did the book, James DeMille's one-inch and three-inch punch. And you go, well, hang on a minute, did Bruce Lee that? Bruce Lee's one inch and three inch. Why is DeMille the, the be all and end all? Mm. Well, you talk to DeMille and he'll tell you why he's the be all and end all because he, was, he devised that in his mother's back room. The whole idea of to develop the one inch punch and three inch punch was developed with Bruce Lee and James DeMille. And that's why DeMille writes the books because that's, that's who he did it with. You know what I mean? He, he, he tried things out and he, and he worked on people and DeMille's story is marvelous. He's got a great interview with DeMille. And he, and he tells it on screen. He's told it on YouTube. You know, he was the Alaskan USAF boxing champion. And he was mean. He was a street fighter. And he went up there and he saw this kid sort of like on the stage saying he could take everybody on. And DeMille went, <laughs> I'm going to have this little Chinese guy, you know. And he went up there and like Barry, you know, next thing he knew he was on the floor. And he went, he was in awe of, of, of what Bruce Lee had he always said, I mean, I, I think he did like Bruce, but, you know, he said, I didn't like Bruce that much because he showed him up. He embarrassed him. You know, he was a cocky, cocky guy, was, was DeMille. You know, he didn't, he didn't like. And that's the kind of thing that paints the picture. But it never paints the picture in a Bruce in a bad light. It just shows you, you know, we can all learn from, from somebody. And, and as I said to Tom, I said, to me, Bruce Lee was the Mozart of martial arts and always will be. I know you've trained with, like, loads of people right and i think there is 
to, there is an extent to which you can pick something up from everyone and you're constantly building a picture of how Bruce thought, etc., etc. But were there like certain people, I guess, who were like maybe key players? Not, to give an example, my understanding is Bob Bremer had done like either the most or the second most private classes with Bruce. I don't know, were there, were there people that through your research kind of thought, right, those guys really have it and maybe these other guys are doing the old stuff or not really quite being true to what Bruce would have wanted? I'd like to quote Dave Garnell really at this point. Each of them had something and each of them saw something. The master was in the middle of the room and the students were all around him. And so basically everybody saw it a little bit different sometimes and Bruce would give them because if you look at what Jeekan does about, it's about personal liberation. It's not about, you know, standing 20 people all in the same line and they're all getting the same thing. It's about personal liberation, your own, your height, your power, how much you're supposed to, how much you can train. Are you disabled? How can I change what I know so that if I have a disability, I can still deliver something to protect myself? Dan Lee, boxing, they used to say if you went against, you know, people like Bob Bremer or Dan Lee, you know, they were boxing guys. You you know, you could run, but you weren't going to hide. You know, they, they would give you a run for your money and they went to make sure it worked and they make sure that you could work it. So, yeah, you, you're right with Bob Bremer. Yeah, that's good. But, I mean, you know, when you watched people like Ted Wong, yeah. you know, I, I remember him being in, in Cassie's studio and I remember him hitting the pad, you know, Bruce's pad, the round one that her son sold on, on some auction. And I remember watching Ted Wong hit it and you wouldn't want to be at the end of it, mate. You know, you just wouldn't. And, and the way he kicked, the fluidity of the kicks that Ted Wong delivered were just absolutely beautiful. You looked at Ted and it was just like looking like Bruce. You know what I mean? He, he just did sometimes just look so great. i give you one that, again, it will be in the book some point because it's on the interview. But yeah. I remember Ted sometimes saying to me, he says, you know, you know that bit where Bruce comes off camera and he's been kicking in the backyard and he's been kicking the big shield with Herb Jackson. And he goes, yeah. And he, and he says, he turns towards the camera and he goes, that wasn't so bad, was it? And everybody's going, oh, Bruce was great. Great, great. You know, Bruce was, Bruce was good kicking the big shield. And Ted goes, you don't understand why Bruce was actually saying that, do you? And I said, what, what do you mean, Ted? He says, well, he kicked the big shield, didn't he? I said, yeah. He says, but think about this. We knew Bruce. And he could do better than that. And I says, what do you mean? He says, well, when he was kicking the shield and you see on the backyard footage, that was after his back accident. So what Bruce was saying, that's not bad after my back accident. So hell's teeth. How good was Bruce Lee before the the bloody accident? Jesus, God. And and Ted told me that, you know what I mean? So there's Mm. there's little gems like that that uh, Jim's on about, you know, round the fire with the bottle of beer, you know what I mean? you got all these little snippets now and again. And yeah, I'd say Ted Wong. I love Jerry Petit, though. I mean, Petit had his own ways. And Dan Lee, Tai Chi. I mean, he, he was like a ghost. You know, you talk about a ninja. I mean, you'd, you'd throw a punch at Dan Lee and he'd vanish. You know, I mean, he's like, what, where is he? Where's he gone? And this is an old man. You know, and uh-huh. Jesus Christ, what were these guys like when they were young? You know, you, right. you'd throw a punch in, he's, he's gone, vanished. And other people that were, were great, you know what I mean? I loved Larry. Larry was the big bear, you know what I mean? He was he was lovely, was Larry. I mean, you would never have anything said wrong about... I, mean, I, I actually, as I said, I've told you that story about Larry, but I said to Larry, I said, Larry, there's so many people say, oh, Bruce Lee, not a real fighter, you know. And he go, 
I'll tell you what, he said, those people who say Bruce Lee want a real fighter, they were never in front of him. Because <laughs> right. I'll tell you what, he said, he said, if you would have been in front of him and said, Bruce, you're not a real fighter, he says, the next thing you'd have found was you'd be on the floor. And he says, I think you'd be starting eating your teeth or something like that. He says, look at me. He says, I'm big, a bigger man. And remember, Larry was a Vietnam vet. And also on top of that, the wonderful story of Larry taking two bullets, chasing some bloody burglars or something in Charlottesville and still catching them. Come on, that guy was tough. Yeah. That's tough, is that? I don't think I could run with two bullets in me yeah. and still catch somebody. Uh, to follow up with Tom's things, did, were there guys, too, that you've discovered, and you don't have to name any, that just were kind of making shit up and trying to promote themselves as an instructor or that they knew a bunch of stuff that they actually did not? You always find these people that start coming on and start telling you because they've read a lot or they've done a training. I mean, I once had, I'm not going to name names, but I remember right. once this guy wrote a book and he, he goes, uh, this is a Jeet Kune Do book. And I went, you're joking. And he went, no, 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 this is, this is, this is a Jeet Kune Do book. So he says, I said, well, when did you learn this? He says, oh, well, I, I learned with Stillwell. I said, okay, then how long? A year. I says, which year? He says, well, I says, how long? He says, well, I went and saw him in, for a couple of months. I said, no, 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 no. You didn't train with Bastillo a couple of months. I said, you know, you wouldn't have been able to stay out there that long. But what, what did you do? Oh, well, it was a couple of weeks. And I went ballistic. You know what I mean? When you're too passionate about something. Sure. And, I, and I just went to him. I said, how the hell can you write a book about Ji Kune Do and you've done two weeks training? And you're making out, and literally, if you saw it, you'd laugh your socks off. Because it's just this guy animating himself like Bruce Lee from some of the f pictures in the photos. You know what I mean? Oh, and I just said, give up. Just give up. He turned to me and I said, look, I said, if you want to do something, I says, go promote Bruce Lee. At that time, you know, there was major people that were serious students of Bruce Lee. I says, you were insulting them. You're insulting those people because, I said, they do know what Bruce Lee did, and he taught them. You never were taught by them, and you were only taught by two weeks. I said, I know people like Dave Carnell and others that have spent much more longer sort of like taking it in and understanding it. And I always think, to me, and if you ever, and I mean, I don't quibble about it, but the two people that are trying to kind of analyze it are well. I love Cass. I mean, I think Cass does a great job of his penjaxilat and, and the Kali, and, and also he, he promotes the Jeet Kune Do. But when it comes to Jeet Kune Do, me, Guru Dan, has to be. Anybody sort of like Guru Dan really puts so like Bob Breen, okay, he's, he's taking it to Breen's Jeet Kune Do. And, and for me, if you wanted anybody that, that looks the right thing and talks the right thing and teaches the right thing, it's Chris Kent. It has to be for me. It, I'm, and, and that's just me. I'm an old guy. You know, I have to say, you know, where I feel it. And of course, Tim Tackett as well, because they came and they're the, the people who are, are still there. I mean, I spoke to Steve Golden and I'd love to speak to Steve Golden a lot because he's, he's kind of got a passion for the Wing Chun. But, you know, I've asked him for an interview and he's like, I think he's been burnt a couple of times. So he, he's not really interested. And I appreciate that. And I respect him for that. Do you think? JKD, after these guys are gone, uh, you know, the Tackett, Dan, and so on, that it's just going to kind of fade into something else. Do you think there's any hope? There is hope. There's, there's always hope. Because, because, always because hope. you know, the, the, the people, if you said to me, flag up who's going to be still around for a, for a bit longer, to me, hopefully, is Chris Kane. 
and definitely Diana Santos' husband, Ron Baliki. And I think, you know, he, he will continue loads of, of instructors from the concept side that are really good. And, and I think Taki, you know, the, the people to the Wednesday's night class people have got it right. You know what I mean? Because they come from the Taki camp and, and stuff like that. And the people from the Casamagna camp, so they've got a nice balance of everything else as well. So I don't think it will vanish. But you see, there's, there's a problem with me in, in the fact that I'm old school and of course I just love it. I mean, you can't do it. Dave Carnell said to me, you can't do it. But I just love it just to be like, you know, Taki Kimura. But I went to Taki's. He was training under the Thrifty Star, which was his star at the time. It was still invite only. And you had all sorts of people. And it was free. It was absolutely free. Yeah, yeah. No, the Jun Fan Gung Fu was absolutely free. Uh, and, you know, there was people like Cyril Williams, one of the Sotos were there. They were giving me all this knowledge that was the Jun Fan Gung Fu. It was the Jun Fan Gung Fu. It wasn't, it wasn't what's Jeet Kune Do. It was the Jun Fan Gung Fu. So you got that. And I think Chris Kent sort of like relays it as it, as it should be. And I, I appreciate if people have to teach other classes as well, like a screamer and maybe Thai or something like that. But for me, you know, it's just the core training and the personal development. And I think at one point in time, that's where John Little was trying to steer it. You know, that, that's where John was trying to make the nucleus. And that's why me and him got on tremendously well, because that's what we wanted. We wanted a, a national recognition so that, and, and, and also Petit and Dan Lee, that was what they were sort of, and, and Taki, they all were trying to make sure that the, the core training that Bruce had put down, it's not to say that you can't go into other things, but it just gives you the mechanics, the knowledge, the, the way to do it. But it's not saying that what you, when you do Jeet Kune Do, there's not a thing called Jeet Kune Do because you know, there definitely is and definitely was a Jeet Kune Do situation and there definitely is a Jeet Kune Do system. But then that frees you. you. You free yourself. Look at the old the sort of like knowledge of it. You know, you up, you start as an empty circle. You went through the different yin yangs, and then you ended up at the empty circle again. You free yourself from the style. You become your own style. Always where no limitation is limitations, and that's it. That says it all. But the thing about Jeet Kune Do is, when you're really into it, it's not just martial arts. It's a way of life. You can actually put that blueprint, your blueprint, into life, and it works. That's the that's the upsetting thing. It works. You know what I mean? You, you find your own path, your own way, and it works. And once you find that, it's like, oh, is there anything this can, you can defeat it? And, and really, because you're, you're using the old flow situation, you, you hit the rock, you go around the rock, over the rock, under the rock, you don't think of anything. And my philosophy, my little way, and some people use it, but it's mine, is there's no such thing as a problem, only a solution. My instructor, Lack Loy, he's big into the mental side. And you've talked to me when we when we did a kind of precursor call to recording this show about how yeah. Bruce Lee and JKD's given you so much more than just the fighting. Do you want to sort of elaborate on oh, that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The situation is, is back to where I was. And you remember that I was a poor child, you know, I was, I was ill. Um, and, and, and it was not just physically ill. Once you get this situation in your head where you're ill, you actually mentally become ill because you don't think you can ever do it. You know what I mean? You don't believe it. And my mother, when, when I was starting to learn shotgun karate, she sort of said, you've got all that dust on the floor. Oh, you're going to, you're going to, you're an asthma attack. You're going to be poorly. You, you know, nasty asthma attacks can kill people, you know. And what I really realized is I had nervous asthma. And so, so more confidence I got, 
the better it was. And the more I, I learned, and I wouldn't say I'm proficient, but I have a good knowledge and I promote it, is that when you listen to people like Chris Kent, when you listen to people like Tim Tackett, and you listen to Lack and stuff like that, you can talk on a level and you can see where Bruce things and made you mentally strong not just physically strong you know what i mean i mean it's, it's, it's looking at the physical thing but also looking at the personal liberation you know making sure that you, you you don't have things in the cupboard the skeletons and things like that that means that you can't move forward and i think that's that was something that was given to me and as i say i went to see enter the dragon as i told you and, and i said if i could have 10 percent of what that's guy on the screen's got i've got it and bruce gave me more because i was driven you know once you're driven once you once you really really got a passion about something it doesn't matter what that passion is it drives you forward and bruce lee and jeet Kune Do and the martial arts was my driving force i stood by my name in the fact that people say oh bruce lee and you, you always have to laugh because when you talk to, to people and it still happens today you talk to the actors Oh, Bruce Lee, yes, he's good guy, good guy. Very good martial artist, not very good actor, not very good actor. And then when you talk to some of the martial artists, hardened martial artists, you know, very good actor, Bruce Lee, really, really did really good on the screen. Uh, not a really good, never did a fight, never, never got anywhere. And I look at him and I think, you aren't looking at Bruce Lee in the full totality, you're just not. Because there's three things you've got to remember. One, Bruce was an actor. He was an actor. He did 20 films in Hong Kong before he ever left for America. So he knew what his, his acting skills were. He'd been in front of the camera for a long time. Okay, he didn't have actually a Hollywood style, but he had some style and he knew what he was doing. Martial arts-wise, he used to go all over. Once he got the martial arts book, he went absolutely everywhere Hong Kong to pick up anything on martial arts and, and how to train. The guy was just, like, driven, and he was passionate about what he knew. And therefore, he passed it down, and he wanted everybody to share that with him and understand what they, what it was all about. And Bruce did that in a roundabout way because he was trying to prove that he he was Chinese, Chinese American, and that he picked up everything from everywhere, and he could give it to other people. That's why he taught everybody because it wasn't just if you were black, white, or anything. He wanted to give it every because he wanted everybody's potential to come up. If you only have to look at Takikimura, Takikimura sat stood me next to Bruce's grave. And I know he's an old man, 95 now. Strange how both of them, Guru Dan and Taki, are still there. Something very strange there. It's something very strange there, but I love them both. They both looked after me amazingly. I think mentally, one of the best people is Chris Kent and Super Tim Taki. They give a good understanding, and, and a guru down, of course, if you're around him long enough. I think the key to it sometimes is is the, the amount of time you have to be with these people for quite a good, a good amount of time to get it. And I think, you know, Lack has got that um, from the mental side of it. And I think we all appreciate that, that, that that's the way he's taken his Jeet Kune Do. You know what I mean? That, that's where he's got it. And that's quite one of the things that you've got to look at. I mean, each of them takes it their own way. You know, Chris takes it his way, Tackett's taking it, you know, Wednesday night club. You know, Larry took it into the grappling. Each of them delves into it, but it doesn't mean to say that the core training is missing. It just means that, you know, the core training, the physical side's there, but the mental side, they can deal, deliver from everything and any, uh, from anywhere on anything. So that was it. And I was just saying, you know, that I got a lot of it 
from Guru Dan and from, from Taki Kimura and stuff like that. What you've got to remember is with, with Taki, he'd been down because of being, being in a Japanese internment camp in America. And Bruce had boosted him right back up mentally to be able to hold his head up again. And, and that's why when I was with Taki, Bruce's grave, Taki said to me, promise me, as long as you're doing so much and you're so enthusiastic about Bruce, you'll keep my friend alive as long as you can push whatever his ideals were because he said he did so much for me and as I said even though Bruce has not been here the people that he left behind have been so nice and given so much to me and and I've tried to do so much back for them to try and show respect to them in all the ways you know I mean he's been marvellous. Herb Jackson who made a lot of the equipment for Bruce and stuff like that Herb you know when he was in um, Cassie's receiver school he goes put this jacket on and then he says, put this watch on. And I go, yeah, all right, you know, you just do anything to sort of like, he says, well, what does it feel like? He says, it keeps me warm and it tells me the time. He said, yes, yeah, but doesn't it feel a lot better that that is Bruce Lee's jacket and Bruce Lee's watch? And I went, ah, I see what you mean. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's weird things, but you've got to remember that Herb, again, he gave a lot of inspiration to these guys. They were hard guys, you know, they were real proper street fighting guys. He, Bruce picked people that, that were black belts, you know, people who would, were on the steps to training. There were people who were just starting off. They, were, they already had been in stuff like that. So mentally and physically, he set them up and he gave them the tools. Now, Andrew, you have more stories than I could ever imagine. <laughs> Does this bleed off into your personal life? Obviously, the people go, all right, enough about Bruce Lee. <laughs> The thing is that everybody knows, and, and it's a joke with my friends, if a Chinese guy comes up, and he can be any kind of Chinese guy, or any Chinese girl, <laughs> and I'll go, where do you come from? Oh, I come from Taiwan. Do you know do any martial arts? No, 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 no. Oh, yes, 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 do it. So do you know any Chinese martial artists? And I'll go, yeah, we know Bruce Lee. That'll do. And it always reminds me that I talk to some people and then I go, uh, do you like martial arts films? Or, you know, I'll talk to some people or somebody will be talking and they'll go, oh, yeah, and there's, there's nobody better than Bruce Lee. And I think Fred Weintraub said this because of Bruce Lee. He says, no matter where you go, like Elvis, if you say martial arts, you think Bruce Lee. And that's lovely. That's lovely, you know what I mean? And, and then if you get really into it, you can understand what Bruce can give you mentally and also what Bruce can give you physically. And that's up to you if you want to delve in there. The great thing that I always like to feel, and, and if anybody wants to talk to me uh, about it, is that I don't separate Bruce from the, the person. I take him as though he was the human being that he was here. So I look at him as the human being, the actor, and the martial artist. And I don't try and say he's one or the other. He was Bruce Lee. He was the whole whole can of worms, you know what I mean? And that's why I, I, some people only want to know the martial arts side. Some people only want to know the film side. But I like to look at him as a totality. And that's where, my, that's where I like to be with him. Um, and you don't meet that many people who look at him totality. Because some people, some martial arts find it embarrassing. You know, they, they go, oh, no, I can't talk about the film side of it. You know, no, no, that was just... But Bruce, you know, he, he put the martial arts on the, on the film so that people would look at martial arts. He did what he, he was saying. You know, 
this is a Chinese martial art or is this a Japanese martial art, it doesn't matter what martial art is, you go training it, you make yourself aware of what martial arts is and what martial arts can do for it. It's not for everybody, but everybody should at least try something if they want to. And, and I once said to Guru Dan, I said, why do you learn martial arts? He said, you got house insurance? I said, yeah. He said, you got car insurance? I said, yeah. He says, well, why wouldn't you sort of like just give yourself that little edge so that if you got into a situation where you can't get out of it, you just might give yourself a chance. And I went, ah, right. I <laughs> get the thing, right, you know. Right. So but, what's, uh, what's yeah. the future hold for you, Andrew? After all said that, what's next? What's on your list of things to oh, do? Oh, well, the funny thing with the Jun Fan Journal, and, and I have a Jun, the British Jun Fan Journal, which is a, I, I put little bits up there for everybody to look at, and it covers the film, it covers when people are coming over, it looks at the Jeet Kune Do. And it does, as I say, it's a totality. It's not looking at one particular thing. But it gives you a little bit of, it tries to educate everybody on everything to do with Bruce Lee on his legacy. That's what it's about. Things happen weekly <laughs> on <laughs> Bruce. You know, that's how it is. So it's, it never, the, the journey never ends. You know, it, it never, never ends. We had a show on, and I, I put it on the Junk Fan Journal. We had a show on last Saturday called We Have a Show Over at Gay Oak, the Jonathan Ross Show. And literally, he had a, a famous baker that we have here who goes around the world doing baking. And he's very, very popular in Britain called Paul Hollywood. Right, Paul Hollywood, you go, fine, you know, what's this all got to do with Bruce Lee? But towards the end, he goes, Paul, we hear you did martial arts. He said, oh, yeah, I did it with my uncle. And he says, you like the nunchuckers, didn't you? And he went, yeah, love the nunchuckers. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, 30 years ago, I used to know use nunchuckers. You know, love the discipline. You're gonna, you, get, you know where I'm going with this. So before they actually let Paul on the little stage with the nunchuckers, right, they showed the clip of Bruce doing the nunchuckers for Ment of the Dragon. So that's the benchmark. And then Paul Hollywood tried to remit. And he didn't do too badly. But what you've got to understand, Jim, is you saw Enter the Dragon, Return of the Dragon, big um, Chinese connection and Fists of Fury, right? And yes. most of the time you got them uncut. For 25 years, one man in this country denied all the, the Bruce Lee fans all that footage. We weren't allowed to see it. So it was only at conventions that we were allowed to see nonchukas and stuff like that. But you're just laughing here because I want you to, wherever this goes, this is the laugh. Because Bruce used the nunchuckers, like Indiana Jones used the bullwhip, you know, to heighten the action in the movie. Right. And you know how good and bad nunchuckers are. I mean, they're an okay weapon. Okinawa nunchucker style is, is okay. But you wouldn't really want to wield them around that. You know, you can knock yourself out with them if you're not right. careful. And the joke is that from one little Chinese guy using it in really, really just one film. I know we did, did it in a, another three, but just one film that really showed them. How much money has those bloody manufacturers made out of non-chukas from because people just saw Bruce Lee use them on the screen? Right. How much money have they made? And how many non-chukas uh, uh, are still made to this day? To, to this day. day. Right. <laughs> and that's only last week, Jim. That's only last week. This week... We're getting, we're getting closer and closer to things happening. Bruce has been talked about in, in Hong Kong all the time. And little snippets. It's, it's not like you're going to see lots of footage of Bruce. I mean, the bit of which turned up a Bruce on the set of The Green Hornet just coming onto the set on a bike 
only a, only a few months ago, you know what I mean? And so it's more like not Bruce Lee appreciation, not Bruce Lee this or that and the other. It's like it being a Bruce Lee archaeologist. You'll keep digging in the sand and every so often a nice little gem will turn up right. and you'll look at that and go, wow. And that's what I keep doing. I keep digging in the sand and finding them little gems and people share. And if somebody else finds them, they share me with them and we share it to everybody. And therefore you just learn more about the man. And in 32 years, you've given us the, I've never seen so many photos taken of one person in one lifetime in my life. God, that guy had some photos taken of him. But no, no, no. I think the perpetuation, I think, I think there'll be a bit of a squabble when everything happens to Guru Dan. Andy Kimura will take over from his father. I think that'll be fine. Um, And there'll be a bit of a a thing there. And I think you'll see the similar three branches hanging out. There'll be, I think you'll find that the, I think you'll find this, the the, the Jeet Kune Do, which is the Jun Fan Kung Fu. I think you'll find that's the Jeet Kune Do concepts. And I think you'll find this, what Chris teaches, which is, you know, Jeet Kune Do from the purest point that, that can be, which is, you know, uh, Sifu Timitake and uh, Texit as well. So it'll never go. It, it can't, it won't die or anything like that. It will just, I think it's like, I mean, I, I'm sure you've heard of Aikido. I mean, I, I, when I say Aikido, I think there's, I know there's two styles of Aikido, which is Urishiba and uh, Tamiki. But then when you start talking about the shoulder cameras, this and that and the other. So I think you'll find that, that there'll be little bits and pieces. But right. it's, it's a shame, really, but to be actually honest, because really, all in all, he's personal liberation. And, and if you go back to where the fundamentals, the core training, the books that actually Dave Carnell wrote are kind of where you want to be in your beginning guide. Once you've got past that, then you take Jeet Kune Do, like Lacker, like everybody else said, you take Jeet Kune Do. Once you've been signed off, once you, somebody can say to you, yes, you know the fundamentals and you know what you're talking about, then once you've got that certification properly under somebody that knows what they're doing, then I would say, to be actually honest, you know, you can take it in any direction you want because that's what Bruce wanted. You take it, it's personal liberalization. But it's, it's like I always like to say to you, if you learn a style and a system, there's nothing wrong. I love Wing Chun. I love Wing Chun. I'm never going to say I hate Wing Chun. I love it. I love every, every bit of it in, a, in, in all the forms and everything in it. But that doesn't mean to say that I don't like everything else. I don't like lead punch and I don't like, I love all that as well. And I can do it all and stuff like that. But if somebody said, if I want to train somebody in Wing Chun, then that's good. It's a style. But tell people that it's a style. Don't tell them this is it. This is all you need to know. Let people discover themselves so that if there is a gap in their armory, then, then they should know it. it. It's like what Guru Dan, I always thought, was doing really well when he used to teach seminars. He gave you an armory. He gave you tools to learn everything and techniques for everybody, everything. And it was up to you what you picked and what you threw away. And basically, at the end of it, you know, what you feel is good for you, then that's what you should use. If you can make it good, then that's great. If you're good at the trapping, that's great. If you're good bridging the gap, that's great. If you're good at grappling, that's great. It doesn't matter as long as you understand the fundamentals. I remember one guy talking about Shotokan Karate. And he said he had one move and he took it into a competition and he broke everybody's arm that came at him when they came with a Gakazuki punch. <laughs> and he won. 
Yeah, that's but all you needed. But he only had one move. Shit, yeah, that's all you needed. But, you know, and, and because he had that one move, and no matter what anybody did, he, he just destroyed him. So the situation right. is, is he could learn three or four moves, and if you're really damn good with them three or four moves, and you've got the speed, timing, and power to deliver them, you know, yeah. so what? Andrew, thank you, brother, so much for taking the time. Oh, anytime. Love to meet you, Love to meet you. Hey, if, uh, how do people get a hold of you, or do you not want anyone to get a hold of you? <laughs> oh, someone... no, 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 no. I mean, <laughs> as, as I say, you go, go, go to the British Jun Fan Journal um, website, Facebook, and people leaving messages and stuff like that. Now, I'll get back to them straight away. Or go to Walmart TV, and we'll get back to them that way. You know, we have a magazine out there. If any of you want anything in the magazine or want anything on the website, please, 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 we, we, we're more than welcome to uh, to share everything and anything, awesome. especially, as you say, on Bruce Lee. Andrew, thank you, brother, so much. It's been a pleasure. No problem. It's been a pleasure. Been a pleasure. You take care, my friend. Be good. have been listening to Primal Radio in association with Primal Gym and Primal Promotions. Primal Radio is available on all good podcast venues. To help us grow, please subscribe, like it, share it, and leave us a great review.